Well, cool. Now, y'all, I had to remind the first service about this. Like, please, please be patient and please don't be offended if you're a man here and you see that you're not invited to the calligraphy event. Um, you need to know we have men's events and there's women's events. And so just be patient, okay? Um, I'm working through that, honestly. So um, I'm Peter. If you're visiting, I'm, I serve as a lead pastor of the Springs here. And uh, you came at a special time, especially if you're visiting, because we're talking about hearts and money. Now, I know that appears a little bit sarcastic because typically the, the, the most amazing first thing that you want a, a visitor to talk about in church, right, if you're a visitor, wouldn't tend to be money. Let me, let me tell you why I'm especially understanding and excited about what we're talking about today. We're going into a holiday season where all sorts of people, if you're like me, have crazy habits of what we do with our time and our holiday and our traditions and money. And how many of y'all have ever spent something on the holidays where you wish you could have that sucker back? Like, man, I thought that was going to be so great, but turns out it's a thing, right? I've seen people in this series already, we're in week uh, five of six, four of six, I'm not counting right, we're in week four of six of our Blessed Life series where uh, we have a pre-recorded videos for a little bit uh, from Pastor Robert from Gateway Church is going to share a little bit, I share a little bit, it's like a little tag team thing, Uh, but we are seeing already as we dig deep in this foundation and get serious about this part of our heart, we're seeing so many amazing stories that I'm seeing people that are launched into an adventure in their lives and their families that until we started talking about these things, that part of the adventure of their life had never begun before. So I'm telling you, if this is your first time or your 101st time here, today is a day for us to see new freedom in this area. I have one verse I want to share that leads into this message that might not seem like it has anything to do with this message, but it has everything to do with everything. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 all the way through 20. Because here's why we're preaching about money. It's all about who Jesus is. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, everyone say all things. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him, all things, I love this repetition of all things, all things were created He's before all things, in him him, all things hold together. I'm going to pause right there for a second. Has anyone here had trouble holding some things together in your life? I learned this week that I'm having trouble holding myself together. And I have peace when I know, ultimately, Jesus holds not just some things, He holds all things together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, or the literal is is the first fruits from the dead. For in him, everything he might might be 
preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and verse 20, through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace with the body through his cross. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Listen, the gospel and what Jesus paid for is for us. It's for our hearts. It's for the dream of seeing a nation at peace, red and yellow, black and white, people reconciled to each other outside of the gospel, no government institution, no really smart person can hold all things together. But because of the gospel of Jesus, your life can be held together when you haven't held it together any better than I have. Your finances, your dreams, your future, your provision can be held together by the person who holds you if you let him. And when he reconciles all things to himself, it means all things, not excluding your money. In fact, precisely this area of money, as nervous as it is to talk about in church, is exactly what we need God to do to reconcile all other things in our life. Today's message is about the spirit of mammon. Pastor Robert's going to share, and I'm going to come up and close. Thank you. Good to see you. We are in a series uh, called The Blessed Life, and I do want to say welcome to all the churches that are joining us, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16. That's the only passage I'm going to ask you to turn or click to, um, but just however you do it, just go to Luke chapter 16, and uh, we're going to talk this weekend about breaking the spirit of mammon. Breaking the spirit of mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N. It's a word that's in the Bible only four times. Uh, Jesus, as we know, only used it three times. One of the times it's in the Bible, it's a repeat. It's in Matthew and Luke, but it's the same sermon. So we're going to look at it in Luke so that we'll see all the times that we know of that Jesus used this word, all right? Luke chapter 16, look at verse 9. Luke 16, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That's the first time we see the word. That when you fail, they, I just want you to remember the word they, not it, they, so it's talking about the friends, may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, it's the second time we've seen it, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And then verse 13 is a repeat of the verse in Matthew 6, no servant. No no servant, not one, no person, no person. This is very important to understand this. Uh, Matthew said this way, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and mammon. And that's the third time we see it. And again, that's a repeat from a verse in Matthew 6. It's from the same sermon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, this is the only phrase like this in the Bible, that where Jesus contrasts serving God with something as, as, as uh, uh, clearly as he does. You cannot serve. You cannot do it. No one can do this. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, since he said that, we need to know what mammon is. So, I have three points for you today. Here's point number one. They're actually all three questions. What is mammon? What is mammon? Most people would immediately say money, but, but the answer is so much deeper than that. Uh, mammon is an Aramaic word, which means riches, uh, but it comes from the Syrian God of riches. I don't believe Jesus was simply referring to riches. I think he was referring to a false God that they knew. The Syrians had a God called Mammon, and it was the God of riches. Now, let me tell you where it came from. It actually came from Babylon. A lot of people don't know where Babylon came from. If you just look at the very first part of it, Babel. Babylon came from the Tower of Babel. That's where Babylon came from. And if you ever want to know what the word Babylon means, just say it a little differently and a little slower, Babylon. You ever know anybody just babble? Okay, never mind. Don't, don't, don't nudge anyone or look at someone right now, you know. But babble means, actually means confusion. You know, someone just talking, you don't ever, you, don't, you can't follow them. You don't know what they're talking about. Babble, the word babble means confusion. When you add the suffix on, on it, it means sown uh, are planted. So the word Babylon means sown in confusion. It started in confusion. The Tower of Babylon, the Tower of Babel was the, a system that they believed that they didn't need God. They could get to heaven on their own, their own energy, their own work could get them high enough to get to heaven. That is what the spirit of mammon is, that we don't need God if we have riches and money. It is a spirit that contrasts itself with the spirit of God. It is an arrogant, prideful spirit that tries to replace God. When you think about this, it's Jesus said you, you can't serve God and mammon. In other words, mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants to rule in your life. Mammon wants you to look to it instead of God. And here's the problem. Many of us actually grew up looking to mammon and we didn't even know it. And, and Jesus makes this statement, you can't serve both. And he, he says, you will be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, I want you to think about this. There's a message today that that's we, we call the prosperity message. It's basically give and you'll get, give and you'll get, and, and you know, God wants to, to bless everyone with lots of money and a Mercedes and a Rolex. And uh, the problem with that message is that it actually works selfishness and greed into your life instead of out of your life. And the problem with that is it's a mammon message. And here's the problem. You become loyal to that. Now, here's what happens. When people buy into the prosperity message, what happens then is that when something breaks or something goes wrong in their life financially, they despise God. They get mad at God. 
And here's the reason they get mad at God or despise God, because they're loyal to mammon. Jesus said, if you're loyal to mammon, you'll despise God. Mammon wants to take God's place. Mammon actually promises us everything that only God can give us. You think about it. Mammon promises us identity, security, significance, uh, happiness, joy, all these things only God can give. Listen, only God can give peace, love, and joy. Only God. Mammon can't. Mammon can never deliver on its promise. Mammon wants to rule. You can't serve God and mammon. I'll tell you something that might shock you about mammon. Mammon is the spirit of antichrist. And I'll prove it to you by a very simple verse that all of you know, but it's shocking how many people never put this together. The spirit of antichrist does not rule through the threat of nuclear war. The spirit of antichrist rules through the threat of not being able to buy and sell. That's mammon. If you don't bow to me, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to provide for your family. See, it's a contrast. All through, all, all through our lives, mammon is trying to get you to bow to mammon, serve mammon, worship mammon, and Jesus is saying, no, God is the only one that can provide everything you need. God is the only one that can provide identity and security and peace and happiness and joy and love. Only God can. But mammon says he can. Mammon will say, you know, if you had more money, people will listen to you. Significance. If you had more money, if you had the right credit cards, if you had the right clothes, if you had the right car, if you had the right house, if you had more money, you'd be happier. If you had more money, um, you, you, you'd have a better marriage. If you had more money, here, here's the big lie. If you had more money, you could help more people. Listen to me very carefully. Money doesn't help people. God helps people. But notice the contrast. See the contrast? Money, okay. Look, look, here. Jesus never told anyone that he needed more money. Never did a leper, never did a lame man, never did a blind man say, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus turned around and say, oh, you just need more money. Not once. And I'll tell you again how it contrasts. Just, just to show you how we've all been influenced by the spirit of mammon. We've all had this thinking at some point or another. I either need God to come through or I need someone to give me some money. And if someone would give me some money, I'm okay, God. My problem's been solved. I don't, I don't need you because I got money. Are, are, are you following me? I can remember one time my, um, I borrowed my dad's boat uh, when, we were, when our family was younger. We have a boat now, but when our family was younger, uh, my dad had a boat, never used it. I think he kept it just for us, you know, for the kids to use. And I'm grateful for that. But he got a brand new boat. I borrowed it. We're on vacation. Something started beeping. Uh, the beeping bothered me, so I got up under the dash and pulled the wire out. <clears throat> This is something you do when you're young and stupid. It was trying to tell me something. 
It was trying to tell me that it was low on oil. But I kept driving, and we burned the motor up. Brand new motor. $4,000. I said to my dad, Dad, um, I, I'm, 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 this is my responsibility, and I'm going to take care of this. I, I will figure out a way to take care of this. And I said, this is my problem. I'll take care of it. And you know what my dad said to me? Son, you've never had a problem. I will never forget this conversation as long as I live. I said, what do you mean? He said, son, if money can fix it, it's not a problem. And if money can't fix it, God can. He was telling me right then, money's not the answer to your problems. Son, God is always the answer to your problems. So that's mammon. Mammon is this spirit that tries to influence us. Here's question number two. Is money evil? Is money evil? Because Jesus said unrighteous mammon. Well, what he's talking about is a spirit. It's a spirit. Let me just say again, mammon is a spirit. (laughs) Uh, if, If mammon's not a spirit, how come it can talk? Because you, 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 try, you start to give an offering, and I'll bet you'll hear voices. <laughs> Mammon is a spirit that rests on money. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Can I tell you this? All money has a spirit on it. It either has the spirit of God on it, or it has the spirit of mammon on it. All the money in your account right now either has God's spirit on it or the spirit of mammon. And the way you get God's spirit on it, according to Scripture, is you give the first 10% to the house of God, and God redeems the rest out from under the spirit of this world, which is the spirit of mammon. Why would you want the spirit of mammon on, on your money? So money money's not evil. Money's neutral. You can do good with money. You can do bad with money. People say, well, but the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. It's not what it says. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, in other words, they got under the spirit of mammon, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here's what I think he's saying. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Now, look, look at this verse begin, uh, because it, it's, it's strange the way it reads, and a lot of us don't understand it. Verse 9 says, and I say to you, this is Jesus talking, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Okay, I have to admit to you, when I first read that as a new believer, I totally misunderstood it. It's, you know, I'm thinking of unrighteous mammon as just money, not, not a God or a spirit of greed. And, and I, so it said, make friends with money. That's what I thought it meant. So I thought it meant, you know, do uh, favors for other people, and then when you're in trouble, they'll, they'll do something for you. You know, that's what I thought. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, take this unrighteous mammon and redeem it by giving the first to the house of God and use this, use the money 
that Satan uses for evil. You use it for good, and you use it to build the kingdom of God, and people will get saved. They will become your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says, when you fail, this word fail means die. means when you die, when you expire physically. Listen, and when you die, they These people who've come to Christ because you gave to the kingdom, listen, will welcome you into your eternal home. (laughs) That's what he's saying. In other words, there are going to be people in heaven that welcome me that say, I'm here because you gave. I know that a missionary came and brought the gospel to us, but I found out, because when heaven see, we're going to know things. I found out there were 47 people that supported that missionary, and you're one of the 47, and if you hadn't supported that missionary, I wouldn't be in the kingdom today. That, that's what he's talking about. See, God is the only one who can take unrighteous mammon and turn it into souls. True riches. That's what true riches are. Um, when I first got saved... Um, if you remember, Debbie and I were married before I got saved. And um, when I got saved, I wanted to witness, but I just, just, just couldn't quite do it. And, and was shy, if you can believe that. <laughs> and um, so uh, I got over it, but I, got, I was shy. And uh, so I remember when I found tracks. Now, I don't know how many of you remember tracks. How many of you remember tracks? Tracks were like little books that shared the gospel story. And I thought, see, I came out of drugs. So I thought, this is cool, because tracks used to be when the policeman said, okay, roll your sleeve up. And, <laughs> and I thought, wow, I don't know who came with the name of tracks. Must have been an ex addict, but I, that's great. That's great. Going to share the gospel through tracks, you know. So, so anyway, so I would get these tracks and I'd leave them on tables when we would eat. You know, I'd leave the tip inside. But nobody ever said anything. And so I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I'm just not leaving a big enough tip. And so I've talked to Debbie about it. We prayed about it. We saved up. We did not have enough to do this. We left a $50 bill in a track one time. Our meal might have been $10, you know, and a $50 tip with the track. We go back to that restaurant a few weeks later, and this uh, lady that waited on us came up. She said, I've been waiting to talk to you. I read that little book, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And she said, and I called my husband and read it to him over the phone, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I got so excited, but I remember her, her wording struck me kind of oddly. I said, what do you mean you called your husband? I mean, was he at work or was he at home? And she put her head down and she said, he's in prison. Can I tell you something? I'm going to meet that guy one day. And he's going to say, thank you for the $50 tip. Because I got saved because of that. By the way, a few years later, he got out of prison, and Debbie and I had the honor of, of seeing him and his wife get baptized, simply because of that. See, what I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you is that God can actually take our money and turn it into souls. It is amazing. You can give to the church, and God can turn it into souls. It's phenomenal. So money is not evil. Here's the third thing, question, what should I do with my money? What should I do with money? What should I do with money? Uh, well, let me just give you an answer is be a good steward with what you have. Just be a good steward with what you have. Now, here's what some of you might be thinking. Uh, Pastor, I have too little of this unrighteous mammon to be concerned with this message. 
If I had more, then I would probably be taking notes and listening very intently, but this just isn't, isn't really helping me, okay? Now, listen to me lovingly. If that's your way of thinking, that I have too little to be concerned with this that Jesus taught. Listen, if that's your way of thinking, you never will have any more. Verse 10 says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Please hear me. If you have a little and you don't tithe, you'll never have much. What God does is we all start out with a little and he sees if he, if he can trust us. And if he can trust us, he gives us more and he gives us more and he gives us more until we get to the level where we can be a blessing to our family and be a blessing to others, whatever that amount would be. But if, 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 if you're not faithful with a little, you're never going to have much. Uh, verse 12 says, and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, there are a lot of applications for this, but I just want to give you one application, possible application. Remember, we've talked for a couple of weeks now about the tithe, and I know God owns it all, but according to Scripture, he's reserved the tithe. He said, it is mine. It belongs to me. I've set it apart. Don't touch it. If you take it, it's stolen. It's consecrated. It's holy. It's set apart to the Lord. Okay. If you've not been faithful in what's another man, who will give you what is your own? Is it possible that one application of this verse could be, if you're not faithful with the 10%, who will give you the 90? If you're not faithful with the tithe, which belongs to the Lord, who's going to give you more? Please hear me. This is so important for us to understand. It's, it's like I said last weekend, God's testing us. A few weekends ago, two weeks ago, God's testing us to see what we're going to do with the first 10%. And then look at verse 11. This is the last scripture we're going to look at. It says, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Okay. Well, what, what are true riches? Well, I can tell you, it's real simple. True riches are people. Uh, if you looked around this room, in whatever room you're sitting in, whatever campus or church you're attending, listen to me. You look around this room, you're seeing the only things going to last for eternity. Not the bodies, the souls. Souls, they're the only things going to last. When I was in college, we had this guy, he's kind of radical, you know, and, uh, uh, and he just had this little saying, it's going to burn We would drive by like a really nice house. And, you know, we were in college. We'd say, look at that house. He'd say, it's going to (laughs) burn. Well, he was right. I mean, it's all going to burn. Heaven and earth is going to be destroyed. I understand that. (laughs) But it really is true. It's all going to burn. Except for souls. Souls last forever. Let me say it another way. Heaven is being populated and hell is being plundered by our offerings. 
That's why it's so important for me to give and why I see it as a spiritual act because when I give, people are getting saved. God is taking what was unrighteous mammon. I've redeemed it by giving the first to him and then as I give offerings, he's turning it into true riches. True riches are people. Um, When Ethan, my son-in-law, and Elaine, my daughter, started dating, uh, Ethan came to me and talked to me first, and I set up guidelines, you know, for him. And, uh, and because I wanted to see if he'd honor me. Here, here's the reason. If he wouldn't honor me, he wouldn't honor her. That's for some of the young men here. <laughs> and so I, we t- I brought him in, we talked. I also showed him my gun collection, by the way. Uh, but... Um, but I gave him some rules to follow and some things, you know, and then after a few months, and he did it. He did everything right. He did everything right. He did everything I told him to do. So after a few months, I gave him the, the, uh, the okay to start dating. And so one night there at seven, our young adult group, and they're standing around talking with a group of young adults afterwards, and they were talking about what it would be like to date the pastor's daughter, you know? <laughs> and it's Ethan and Lane and seven or eight other young adults, you know? And uh, it was funny because uh, one of them said to Elaine, you know, your dad is so strict on tithing. I'll bet he checks the tithing records of the guys that want to date you. (laughs) And Elaine Elaine said, he does. (laughs) And when she said that, Ethan went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And Elaine said, what are you saying? You, you told me you tithed. You told me you tithed. What are you, what are you, what are you saying uh-oh for? And Ethan said, well, there was one time I was one day late. <laughs> and he explained to her, you know, uh, she said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I would always do my tithe. I'd get paid on Friday. So at work, I would go online and do my tithe because I didn't have internet at home uh, because it costs so much and he's a real good steward. And so, said I didn't have internet at home, so I would always do it at work on Friday when I got paid. But one Friday, I didn't go to work. I didn't have to work that Friday. I had to work Saturday, so I did it on Saturday. But I've always regretted that my tithe wasn't, you know, ever Friday, that it was one day late. And they got to laughing, and they said, oh, to Elaine, they said, your dad's not going to notice that. And Elaine said, yes, he will. (laughs) So they said, why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? So she came home that night and she said, hey, dad, uh, did you check uh, Ethan's tithing record? I said, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> she said, well, was everything okay? I said, there was one time he was one day late. <laughs> and the next time we meet, I'm going to ask him about it. By the way, too. <laughs> Kevin, why, why wouldn't I check the tithing record of a young man that wants to date my daughter? Let me say it another way. Why would I give my daughter to a thief? If he can't even handle money, I mean, he definitely can't handle Elaine because Elaine is a handful. (laughs) He's not going to be able to handle her if he can't handle dollars and cents. But let me say it another way. She's my only daughter. She's priceless. Why would I give true riches 
to someone that can't handle unrighteous mammon. Can't even handle money. Well, let me say another way. Why would the heavenly father, who has all power to bless you, why would he bless you when you don't steward what you already have? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. How are we doing with all that? Think to yourself. Be honest with yourself for a second. This heavy message, how are we doing? Guys, how we manage godly discomfort where it matters can bring unbelievable blessing in our souls in our families, in our lives. Ask yourself, how, how am I managing this? Let me be perfectly forthright with you. When I first heard Robert say this, that, that harsh line at the end about his son-in-law, I was like, man, that's kind of strong, man. He's going a little too hard there. That's the thought I had. But like in many moments of my life, I now disagree with my former self. Happens almost every other day for me. And it should happen for you too. That's not too harsh. I agree with God's word. I have three precious, priceless daughters. I'm going to tell you one thing. When a young man wants to go and date one of them, and he tells me, yes, I'm sexually pure. Here's my plan for how I'm going to honor your daughter sexually. I'm going to respect that young man's word, right? But is there any doubt whether or not I'm going to verify his claim and his person just a little bit in that regard? You better believe it for his own sake. You know, I approached my father-in-law at one point, and I'm so glad that he verified a little bit because I, need some, I needed some verifying because my wife of 10 years is priceless and precious like my daughters are. And after being married for 10 years, I'm quite aware that the issue of money is one of those things in a marriage that is somewhat of a little bit of a factor and every married person kind of laughed at my sarcasm there. Money. Are we talking about money? Are we talking about your heart, your future? Are we talking about how God wants you to enter into a safe, adventurous life of trust with him and be set free from the devil who wants to steal and kill and destroy? That's exactly what we're talking about. So how are you managing the discomfort that precedes the blessing. How are you doing? If you go to managing this in one of our growth groups this week, that would be a wise decision. We, we weigh these things out with other people and we pray together. One of the questions at our growth group meeting this week is, imagine a world where the love of money didn't control people what would the world look like? And so I've just 
given you in seed form the the question that we're going to talk about in our growth groups this week. And I want you to bring your imagination to our growth groups. I want you to bring that imagination. What would the world look like if the love of money and the the ability to hear him say hard things, like if you're not faithful with the little, why would you have more? And know that it has less to do or nothing to do at all with what needs to be gotten at the end, but a lot to do with how God wants to set you free as a steward of what he's already given you and that he has a great and adventurous world uh, overcoming, devil-conquering life ahead of you and for me. And he wants to set free your finances. But look, he wants to set free your imagination about your life. That's why we're talking about money. So imagine, imagine a world set free. Imagine your life set free from the love of money. Let's imagine this together, process this together. My life is the fruit of this. I, I see now that my life is the fruit of people surrendering their lives to God and their finances to God. In the mid-90s, there was this ministry where I grew up in central Oregon. And there was uh, a couple, two teachers that with very little income, they gave uh, and tithe to the house of God, as we've been teaching this whole time. And on top of their tithe, they gave to a ministry led by a man who empowered students to preach the gospel on the high school campus. I was one of those people who didn't know Jesus that thought that I knew Jesus. Anyone ever know any of those people? A lot of people are like that. That's how I was. I, I thought I didn't need any of this stuff. I thought the people who followed the rules and tried to go to church and religious things, it's just because they didn't have anything better to do. You know, I thought like the people who tried to follow the rules is like, man, they're not as cool as me. They're not having as good of a time as me, so they got to do these religious things because they're bored. You know, they're old people or ugly people. That's kind of, I'm serious, that's what I used to think. Because I had never seen the glory of Jesus setting people free. I didn't know him. I went to this Bible study held on a campus by this ministry that empowered students. I heard students preaching the gospel. I heard, I, I heard the red letters of Jesus for the first time, this adventure that he calls us to. And I realized this is not my life. What I'm seeing and reading and seeing in these other students, this is not my adventure. And all my pursuits to go impress these girls and do all these things that I thought that I needed in my life that never satisfied, that's because I don't know this person, Jesus. And I was reconciled with him in that meeting of a bunch of students. I saw years later that people giving to this ministry made possible the blessing. In fact, I just realized and pieced those two things together today when I'm looking. And there was, a, there was an older man sitting in the first service that gave to this ministry. And I had this heart of gratitude. Because of that ministry, I got to know Jesus and I got to marry that older man's daughter. Jesus knows what he's going to do with money when it's surrendered to him. You don't need to know what he's going to do. You can just enjoy the story that he's telling. We don't need to know what he's going to do. We can obey him. 
and trust him. So Lord, that's our heart. I ask that you would help us to obey and trust you. Lord, to know that it's about so much more. Lord, I silence the voice of the accuser in Jesus' name. Anyone here who, who is hearing voices of you should have done this or you should have done that, Jesus, I silence that right now and I thank you for your spirit saying, I have a new adventure for you right now. Don't be ashamed about what you haven't done, child. I've paid for that already. My blood is sufficient. I've paid for what you haven't or have done that's not in line with the adventure that I've called you to. And what I've paid for is enough for the adventure that we're going to live together was what, the, what God says. The Father says, trust me, my child. Everything is held in my hands, and I have an adventure for you if you would surrender not just your money but yourself your heart to me, just as you are, just as you are, all your flaws, all your insecurities, all your worries, the Lord says, bring it to me. I can make a beautiful story out of it. That's what I'm doing, says the Lord. Lord, even as we're praying, help us to trust that. If you've never seen God transform your life and make you his own, right now you can believe upon the Lord Jesus. Believe that he lived the life you should have lived and died the death that you should have died and rose again so that you could have new life. If you believe that, you don't have to, to, to sign anything. You don't have to say anything. You can simply believe it right now. The Bible says you're saved and made new. That's powerful. That's how powerful what he did. You can just believe that right now. Thank you, God. Amen. Can we stand to our feet, please? Like I said earlier, I'm so excited about all the stories I've heard about people taking an adventure. Uh, already hearing stories about people that are going to be told in the years to come. Man, we came in when you were doing the video thing and talking about the blessed life and money and stuff. That's when I met Jesus. That's when God did this in my life. I'm excited about these stories. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't know how to connect to our growth groups at our connections table when we dismiss here, we can connect you to that. And we can continue to hear and experience the story that God's telling through us.